Welcome back to The Experience Makers, the podcast brought to you by Wonderman Thompson Technology. I'm Gemma Milne, and once a month, we'll be reimagining customer experience with guests from across the marketing technology industry. With an estimated population of 1.85 billion, people with disabilities constitute an emerging market the size of China plus the European Union. Their friends and family add another 3.4 billion potential consumers who act in their emotional connection to people with disabilities. Together, they control over $13 trillion in annual disposable income. These statistics show that inclusion and accessibility aren't just questions of legal requirement and box ticking. They should be part of your growth strategy. As more and more brands commit to making sure that their digital experiences are representative of and accessible to all, the Experience Makers talks to Wonderman Thompson's Head of Inclusive Design and Accessibility, Christina Mallon, about the challenges that they face. She's joined by two technologists who are leading the way in designing AI-powered tools to help organisations navigate the complexities of accessibility compliance. Wonderman Thompson Technologies, Matthias Krominski, known as Crom, and WPP AI guru, Perry Nightingale. Thank you all so much uh, for joining us today on the Experience Makers podcast. And we're obviously today talking about um, solving accessibility problems with the help of AI. But before we get into that, let's let's talk a little bit about what we really mean when we talk about inclusion and accessibility when it comes to designing and implementing customer experiences. So, Christina, I'm going to come to you first. Tell us a little bit about what it is we're really talking about here. You know, what we're really talking about here is ensuring that users with disabilities. So when I talk about users with disabilities, I'm talking about someone who has limited use of their arms like me that uses a voice dictation software to control their computer or someone who has a vision impairment that um, has a hard time seeing small font or color contrast needs to you know, be at a certain level for them to really be able to understand what's on screen or someone who is deaf that uh, you know needs closed captioning. So really ensuring that the content that's created uh, online is accessible for people with disabilities. And, and how would you think about, I guess, the, the perhaps separate considerations, one about representation, another about usability? Are, are, are they separate or are they kind of yeah, two so, sides of the same coin or? I don't know. I, I think um, accessibility and usability are, in my mind, um, you know, very similar. Uh, when I think that how we use AI from a representation standpoint is something a little different. And that's ensuring that, you know, when a big brand is creating so much content to interact with their consumers, that it actually represents the diversity of the world. And we can use AI uh, to help track what's getting out there and then also to prevent, um, you know, large companies creating only one content in one voice and one representation of imagery. It almost sounds uh, like a very obvious and, and, you know, basic thing that we have to do. But um, Krom, I'd love to come to you to kind of hear a little bit about perhaps some of the practical challenges that um, accessibility and usability pose for brands, for organizations when it comes to, to building and designing customer experience. I guess the largest problem with accessibility is that it's, it's actually a very gray zone. So it's actually a shared area of responsibility for multiple stakeholders. Um, you can't name a single audience or, or single person who's uh, actually the recipient of this uh, functionality of this of this feature, uh, just as you can't tell who's really responsible for delivering it. Yeah, so it's actually a team's effort to make the online presence being actually accessible. 
And Crom, just to build on that a little bit, I mean, we hear a lot about, um, you know, guidelines and standards and all sorts to make sure that, um, you know, various different kinds of, whether it's online or offline experiences, um, are usable. Um, But I'm assuming it's not quite as simple as just following a set of rules. Um, Can sort of interpretation and understanding of these guidelines be a a challenge in in and of themselves? Uh, absolutely. I mean, interpretation is one thing. That there is also a case of uh, various software um, assisting um, the uh, disabilities, uh, and uh, the, the software differs between each other, right? So what, what actually works for uh, one tool may not work well for, for the other one. Um, but all in all, the, the, the standards, actually, they will never tell you the whole truth, right? You, you always require some um, element of interpretation on top of it. Uh, and you just need to think about how to make your website being actually very usable, making it best in class so that it's not only for uh, people with disabilities, but also for uh, just everyone. Um, so let's let's bring Perry into this discussion. Um, so obviously you, you're, you're sort of an expert in the, the sort of world of AI, and I think it's an intriguing title of this this episode, this Solving Accessibility Problems with the Help of AI. So maybe you could give us a bit of a, a high-level overview of how technology and AI can help brands address some of these these challenges that, um, that Chrome and Christina have already outlined for us. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, AI is an incredibly powerful technology and enables you to do some incredibly magical things. It's also, um, you know, in some ways a, a completely useless technology and doesn't enable you to do some really simple and obvious things, right? And in this role, I've only learned how amazing humans are at certain things compared to computers. But one of the things that AI is really amazing at doing is seeing a lot of things, um, you know, at the same time, which is what allows us to look at 25, 30, 40,000 pieces of content in, you know, in a matter of minutes and, and see the sort of overall picture, you know, how many people with a disability feature in that work, what are the age of the people or the gender or the, or the demographic representation of the people, you know, no human can see anything that quickly or store that amount of information in their mind in one go, right? So AI is unbelievably good at that sort of thing. Um, but at the same time, it's worse in a lot of ways than humans are at looking at some of these things. And in fact, it's challenging to sort of identify someone with a disability in in the human world, right? In, in the sort of human sphere, you wouldn't, you know, I, mean, I think a third, if not half of disability is invisible. And I should really go and find that set out. But I mean, you know, it's it's very, very difficult to teach those sorts of things to the machine. So, you know, it's not a it's not a magical solution to this challenge. Right. And I, and I believe actually the, the biggest solution is culture and people and and this mattering to to designers in an everyday way to make them think inclusively when they start their work right i think ultimately that's the goal of what we're doing um but it does you know it does allow us some amazing um opportunities to see work as it's being made and to you know and to see everybody else's work as it's you know as, as you're making work that's that's just a truly incredible um thing to be deploying on this challenge so there's been a lot of um, discussion in the, I guess, in the media, and but also in, in the academy as well, um, coming out, lots of different research coming out around some of the real inherent challenges of using um, AI systems for the very fact that they're not necessarily trained on very inclusive data and end up uh, repeating the same problems that people that don't think inclusively um, also do, which of course is, is, is the opposite of trying to solve some of these problems. So Christina, I wonder if you could, you could come 
come in and talk a little bit about perhaps some of the inherent challenges of introducing these kind of technologies to try and solve inclusion and, and accessibility um, issues. I'm thinking unconscious bias, ethics, things like this. Yeah, I mean, I think this is something Perry and I discuss a lot uh, in our free time. And our our biggest concern is that we will create something to be inclusive, but then it's going to ex- exclude a small part of the disability community that we don't have either images of to represent. Um, a lot of these will be hidden disabilities because it's very difficult at times to story tell around them. And what we're doing is AI image recognition and wording. Uh, so my concern is that with trying to do good, we will exclude some part of the disability community. And it's kind of that ethics question. It's saying, you know, do we decide to move forward with this or, you know, just so that we can increase the reach and do that quickly because disabled people have been significantly left behind in media and advertising, or do we not do anything because we're scared to leave out some people in the disability community that don't have as visible disabilities. It seems to me that there's almost like two things that we're, we're talking about here around how how AI is um, can be utilized or, or the sort of considerations needing to be um, thought about by brands. One is the the representation side, right? So how, how are brands, um, you, you know, using images or what kind of, what's the way um, brands are speaking and so on and so forth. Um, but then the other side is more about the actual usability of product, right? Or, or the usability of of uh, websites to access products or whatever that might be. And they, they almost seem like two different challenges. So is AI, I mean, it sounds like, Perry, you were talking more about this idea of using AI to kind of, I guess, do an audit of representation of brands, less so than this kind of um, actual usability of products. Am I, am I right in saying that, Perry? No, I just think we see this from, you know, needing to take place at two ends of the process. If you if you the, apply the AI at the end of the process against all of the media, then you, you end up with this problem, two problems really. Like one, you have to go back through a chain of maybe 10 or 20 people who touched the work to find where the work wasn't, wasn't accessible, where, where that problem happened and who might have fixed it. Right? It's a longer term process. And secondly, the ultimate aim is for that type of work never to leave the desks of the designers, right? So you would want to put it right at the beginning of the process. But, you know, in some in some examples like color, contrast and font, that's something universal that we can we can code into the into the tools that we use to make sure that doesn't happen. But sometimes you, you know, when it comes to things like representation, we need to look at that challenge almost at both ends at the same time. We need to look at the overall output. Were there enough people of colour? Were there enough women? Were there enough, um, you know, older people in the advertising? And then take that information back to the beginning of the process so that we can in some way help the designers include more of that type of imagery in there, right? So it's sort of, I mean, there's two there's two challenges really with that we're trying to solve AI. One is everybody thinks it's fine that they're, that they're putting what they would consider to be the typical customer in the work because they don't see that everyone else is doing the same thing, right? So in that scenario, we take the ability of the AI to see what's going on at the end of the process right the way through to the beginning of the process and sort of say, why don't you use this type of imagery or not? Um, but it's also the ability of the AI to sort of show you know allow you to look through the eyes of other people right to create an empathy around what it's like to see the work as an 80 year old um, person might see the work right and that's you know that's a slightly different idea and it's really about sort of 
um, you know, one in eight Americans has a vision impairment, right? So these are not small numbers. Millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people won't see the work in the way that the designer sees the work, right? That is about, you know, that is about finding useful ways to sort of demonstrate that to people. Um, and when, when we talk about bias in AI as well, I mean, a little example that Google uses is one around x-rays, right? So in the, in the developing world in particular, they don't have access to the kind of equipment and the, and the amount of medical assistance that we have in, in, in developed parts of the world. And AI is absolutely a place where you can apply that kind of technology. So they trained an AI on x-ray fractures, about 10,000 x-ray fractures. And then the idea would be that you would, you know, you would basically take an x-ray of someone in the developing world and it would tell you if they had a fracture or not. But they took all of the x-ray fractures to train the, um, the AI from one hospital and, in fact, from one doctor. And that doctor had a little habit that no one else knew about of marking the x-rays with a little cross in the right-hand corner so that he'd know which one it was. And the AI had taught itself not to look for cracks in bones, but to look for the little crosses. And so when they took it out into the, into the world to use it for real, it didn't work. <laughs> it only learned to find crosses. It didn't do what they thought it was going to do at all to begin with. So AI can amplify these problems, right? And if, if the AI has never seen, you know, uh, you know, a person with dwarfism or, you know, someone carrying a cane, for example, or something like that, it, wouldn't, it will never know those things, right? And so, you know, we're in danger then of perpetuating, um, you know, a bias in our society that exists already. So, Christina, how do you think about how to then start implementing these kind of technologies? I mean, with the best will in the world, it sounds like there's still so many, um, I guess, it's not just ethical considerations, but logistical considerations in terms of how you make the technology work in the first place how do you how do you kind of balance that with this will to do better yeah i mean i think you know we're trying at a wp and and one thompson and to really diversify the team so i think you know when perry and i got together uh you know about two years ago and tried to kind of create this working group was because i had a different perspective than what he had and we have to bring these multiple perspectives in to catch these type of things and so that's why we need people with different lived experiences working on this project to help find those possible blind spots. And that's how I think we can start with the best intentions is when we know that we have to have a diverse team and we do the research to ensure who we might be leaving out. And I think that's what we're trying to do here. Awesome. Um, Crom, I want to build on something you mentioned earlier that I thought was really interesting. I think builds on on what we're just talking about here, about um, how you diversify teams and how you just get these insights in, in the first place. You mentioned earlier on about the responsibility uh, within organization. You know, who is it that actually should be doing this? What some might people uh, might wrongly see as kind of extra work or extra stuff on top of um, building product or building ads or, or whatever it is that you're doing. So w- what else do organizations need to be doing to to put this accessibility first and, and get this, you know, making it responsible for everybody within an organization whilst also being doable and not all consuming um, uh, and, and never getting done in the first place. I guess the challenge is in translating the obvious strategic goals of the organizations into the operational requirements. I mean, if you ask all of the CEOs of the world, they will never tell you that, you know, they don't care about accessibility, they don't care about uh, bringing accessible and diverse uh, advertisement, right? This is this is something that they always value. But are they able to transform it into the operational um, requirements? Quite often they are not. 
Uh, this becomes a very uh, late issue in the process that, you know, we need to check whether the website is really accessible or not. And all of the flaws are just being, you know, triaged and, and ensure that, you know, the highest violations are, um, are uh, resolved. Uh, but it was never really designed with the accessibility in mind. Uh, which comes back to Terry's um, point that bringing it upfront can actually reduce the cost uh, significantly. Because uh, accessible design and basically including accessibility while designing uh, can be very cheap if you, if you just have that habit, if you think about it, if you, if you consider a variety of users um, and ensure that all of them are well served. So once, the, um, once we'll be able to uh, ensure that these requirements are e equally important as the functional requirement of the website, I think that uh, the, the problem will slowly uh, fade away or transform into a higher level uh, issue. I mean, if you think about it, if you render a blank page, right, that's, that's obviously a, a huge functional issue. But that's something that uh, a lot of disabled people are seeing in the, in the, in the web today. I mean, I mean just, just on that really briefly, though, I mean, CMOs, CEOs, senior executives coming out all the time now making statements around inclusivity and diversity. And, you know, they haven't really, it's not been possible to either hold them to account or allow them to measure the progress of what they're saying, right? And sometimes their advertising can be saying something completely different to what they're going out and saying to the world. And, and in the majority of cases, that is a you know, that is, that is a, not something they intend, right? They're not going out there lying. It's just because they don't know. And again, it's down to the fact that they might put out 5 million pieces of content a, a year, right? How are they going to go through and ever see that themselves? And so, you know, this tool is a way for senior leaders on the client side to, to actually make this happen, make the things they're promising to, you know, promising real. And actually, the reason they're making a lot of those promises is because the consumers want to see these things, right? The consumers want to know that a brand is accessible, inclusive, diverse, right? And this is, you know, this is a sort of tool for, you know, for companies to connect better with the communities they serve, ultimately, so that was going to be my next question. Then was was a bit about a bit more about the tool, or, or perhaps other examples of tools too that um, where brands and organisations can currently use AI and and how and what that means in terms of solving um, inclusion and accessibility problems. So so Perry, maybe let's start with this one that you've you've mentioned. I guess this is a kind of um, shall we say doing a bit of an audit. Uh, a tool that doesn't audit is it the idea that brands can kind of plug in all their different ads of all sorts and it pops out an answer and says you've not got enough of x y and z i mean how does this work well i mean we have had a, a large technology partner so one of the big five technology companies in the world run run one of those audits for diversity on all of the media that was produced for them and then they used it to rank the different creative agencies and agencies that worked on their account and went to the different agencies saying, this is how you've performed in diversity and, you know, in, in the work that you do for us. Now, that is going to become more common, if not the standard over the next five years when it comes to making work for large companies, right? Then it's the same in sustainability. They will expect low carbon marketing. They will expect inclusive, diverse um, media and and actually you know in the in the experience we've had with this company they expect diversity in, in amongst the people making the work not not just diversity in the media we're producing but you know are we a diverse workforce and I, and I think more and more you're seeing 
you know, companies that they may sit down in a room full of men or they might may sit down in a, you know, in a room without any people with disabilities and they will have their meeting, but they will probably tell you afterwards, you know, we expect to see, like we expect to see a more inclusive team on our business. And that, you know, it's starting, you know, it's starting with, with some of these large technology companies, but it will filter through to all of the others. And, and again, you know, it's this point that technology is not going to mask our need for more diverse workforce, right? There are structural changes that need to take place in the way we hire and who we hire and where we hire, right? And it's not our fault that only a certain type of person ever seems to be able to make it to London to do this type of work, right? And, you know, we're looking hard at education, for example, because, you know, if you're from a poorer background, your parents are not likely to send you on a course, you know, where they don't necessarily see the return, right? They constantly want to send their kids to do medicine, you know, to do engineering, where they, where they feel like there's more secure pay in the future, right? And our industry doesn't have that. So we, you know, there are lots of structural changes that AI is never going to come along and solve. But I think we do get to say, you know, AI will help us measure this for you. And it will help us get to this goal faster at the same time as we do the people, human stuff at the same time. Amazing. Let's um, we've managed to record for I don't know how long and we haven't we haven't even mentioned COVID, which I think is mad considering uh, <laughs> how much it gets mentioned in our day to day lives. But let's talk a little bit about um, what's happened over the last year. I mean, obviously, people have become far more dependent on online services and, and brands and organizations have um, if they weren't already doing massive digital transformation projects um, they will be pushing themselves through it now or um, have, if not have already finished. So how has this, I guess, intensified the need for brands to, um, to be more inclusive? Christina, let's hear from you. I mean, I 100% believe and have heard it from our clients that there is such more of a focus on accessibility because tech literacy has been forced upon everybody because of COVID-19. I mean, at one point you had to order all your groceries on, uh, you know, these either applications on your phone or even from a website on your computer. And, and if you have a vision impairment um, and use a screen reader, most of these you could not access using a screen reader. That's a huge problem because that now affects someone's health because they can't get foods or medicines. So I think, you know, brands are starting to see that, okay, we need to fix this issue, but we still have so much a long way to go. Um, and that's what we're trying to do here is to bring this to brands' attentions because this is an extremely, extremely important topic that uh, really is necessary for people with disabilities to be able to flourish in you know our future world which is 100 percent technology world and crom from your perspective what's that look like in practice you know in terms of actually having to upgrade and adapt and perhaps even build brand new um technology products and and services websites whatever for brands that i guess uh, we're behind the times in some degree but suddenly needing to to have all this accessibility that perhaps didn't have in the past the easiest today while still not solved problem uh, is to make accessible websites this is something that technology already is solving and we have uh, quite a lot of software supporting uh, accessible website development uh, i guess where brands need to look more uh, is for all the other channels and acknowledge that accessibility is not uh, locked to the uh, website presence. Uh, and in there, there is still a lot to do. There are missing innovations, there are just missing functionalities in the existing products that would help the customers to ensure they, provide, they, they publish um, accessible content. Uh, actually, in WPP, we are working on uh, a solution, one of the solutions that could um, 
help here uh, that would check the um, assets and their accessibility, but also you know all of the other quality aspects of the asset. Uh, so that's something that hopefully uh, will will help the brand leaders and achieving accessibility metrics soon. I would love to hear from from all of you which brands, if any, sort of stand out as as champions of inclusion and accessibility when it comes to um, digital experiences. Perry, let's start with you. You know, I think, you know, I think Microsoft has done an extremely good job of making inclusivity a, a value of the business, right? And accessibility a value of the business in product design, in the feature set, in the tools they use, right? I mean, I think Chrome and I, to a certain extent, carried along by the inspiration of Christina, right? To a certain extent, like it's sort of, you know, you're kind of doing this because, you know, like, I don't know, you're, you're shown the way, right? I think there's the, the reason that I talked about empathy before and about, you know, using these tools to show designers, to allow designers to look through eyes they don't have, right? Is that a lot of the time you're just not aware of what it is like to live you know, to live with a disability, right? You haven't grown up with someone who's, you know, who's lived through that or, or you know, or sort of had that type of experience yourself. And, you know, that, that to touch on the sort of COVID-19 point a little, you know, some of these things that we were experiencing for the first time, like not being able to get into the office, are, are things that people with disabilities have had their whole lives and will have for their whole lives after we've all gone back into the office. And Christina, let's let's come to you. What brands uh, for you, I guess, stand out as, as champions or, or doing their best or doing new things moving forward in terms of inclusion and accessibility? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I think Unilever, I think they're on their they're on their journey. They're just starting it, but are really committed. Google has done a really good job. They, you know, those are the brands where... Um, I've seen a commitment go into action. Amazing. Let's move on to our, our final little part of this this episode. We, we like to end on a little bit of practical advice um, for those listening. Um, what would the three of you, what, what advice would you give to organizations looking to make their entire customer experience um, more inclusive and accessible? What would maybe be some sensible first steps to take in terms of whether it's technology or a culture investment? Prom, let's start with you. We have not talked uh, much about the legal requirements, but I think that brands need to understand that accessibility is not there because, you know, law is requiring it from them. Uh, this is there to embrace a new nature that will make uh, an impact on the larger audiences. So once they will understand this, uh, I think that this this can get their more traction. So ensuring accessibility is on your priority list, not because of the legal requirement, but because you really care about it. Amazing. Perry, let's come to you. A couple of nice, sensible first steps. I want to build very briefly for a second on crumbs you know it's not there as a legal you know it's not that just there as a legal requirement you know it is it is a way i believe of growing sales and being more relevant to people so you know i think it's you know there's something to be said there as well not just about being made to do it but seeing accessibility as an opportunity and you know tying into that you know i think you know i think sensible first steps is really to recognize that this is not something that a technology you know, or a regulatory body or, you know, or something like that is going to solve, right? This is, this has to be a part of your DNA, right? Part of your, part of your business. I think your, your first step should be to look in the mirror as an organization and say, do we care about 
everybody. Simple as that. Just asking that one question. <laughs> yeah, asking, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think there's definitely, there's definitely a sort of a culture and a DNA that you need to have as an organization if you're going to embrace inclusivity, right? And no, no amount of technology that we're going to create is going, is going to be as important as, as how much your, your organization cares about this challenge. You know, I think there's definitely tools that will allow you to measure your progress, make commitments and enforce that vision that you have for for more inclusive products right and they they are off the shelf more or less with some with some training and some configuration ready to go to help you to meet this target and christina finally um to you i'd love to hear um from your perspective what would be that that practical advice um for those listening at different organizations looking to to become more inclusive and accessible yeah i think the the first step is really doing an audit of your work i think a lot of the times people don't realize what it means to be accessible so they just think, oh, it's just my website's accessible, I'm fine. Well, if your social media is not accessible, that's not inclusive either. So they really need to take an inventory of the consumer ecosystem and then do an audit from there. And I think, you know, that's something that, that we do with all of our clients to ensure that it's authentically inclusive. It's not just one part of your business is inclusive. And I think, you know, you can make something super inclusive from an accessibility standpoint, but you know, if it's, you know, an accessibility feature, but you're only showing able-bodied people in the ads, then you're not fully inclusive. So they really need to look at all the customer touch points from a digital accessibility standpoint, then also from a representation standpoint. And, and actually, I'm just going to sneak in uh, one other little question here, because you've all touched on, I guess this, this, it sounds like it's actually a shift in mindset in many ways there's this audit piece right of okay we need to work out what's there but there is also this shift in actually it being inherent in a company whether it's reframing to go we're not just doing this to be nice and to to check the boxes but because we want to make money or whether it's because actually we we're able to try and see through different eyes and see that this is uh this is something that is just simply important i mean we're obviously talking about this slightly more from the marketing side of the business but how do you know how would you guys um what advice would you give on how to actually make that cultural change is this something that has to happen at the top and trickle down is it about empowerment at lower levels i mean what would what would you say is a nice uh one perhaps piece of advice of how to you know nudge companies towards these these mindset shifts um Carl, i'm going to start with you because you, you 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 started this whole thing <laughs> That's a really difficult question. Um, so one of the answer that comes to my mind and that was already mentioned uh, is to have diverse teams. They will already very naturally uh, enroll more uh, diverse thinking and therefore create more diverse products. Um, in terms of who should really start this uh, this change, um, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, we've already seen that uh, strategic decisions they don't make the change really happen. Because uh, yes, you can make these great commitments, but without people really tr- believing in that vision, uh, nothing will really change. So I guess this needs to be very actionable and very simple. I mean, we are looking for some simple actions and some simple people's change. But honestly, I I can't tell you what that is. Look, if it was easy, we would have solved it by now, and we wouldn't be doing recording a podcast, I suppose. Um, Perry, would love to would love to hear if you have any top tips on, on, in this respect. I would hope that the standard human condition is to want more inclusive work, you know. And so it is about you know some of these tools in a practical way can help that to happen. But I mean, you know, it's 
you know, it's a, it's a bottom-up thing. I mean, culture is hard to create overnight. You know, it takes years and years and years to build a sort of culture. And some of that is, you know, real commitment from people at the top, but then also genuine commitment from, you know, people down the chain as well. And I, and I think, you know, that's hard to turn on overnight. And it's like lightning in a bottle, you know, and suddenly you turn around and your whole organisation is... You know, I noticed the BBC is, you know, it's is sort of puts out an enormous amount of content around accessibility. It didn't do that, you know, maybe it wasn't doing that 10, 15 years ago, but I think, you know, it's it's everywhere and that's a really powerful thing. Partly through the work that's been going on, you know, around Christina, when you look at an ad break in the UK now, you see many more ads featuring people with disabilities than you would have done five or ten years ago. So, you know, I don't think it's an instant flick of a switch. You know, I think it's like a whole number of things, really. Yeah, I was going to say, Christina, you must uh, have this conversation so often. So we'd love to hear from from your expertise as well. I mean, I think the guys actually covered it. Uh, Overall, I mean, the time is now and there's no excuses anymore. The information's out there. The tools are there. We have them. We just told you about them. Um, I think that this is the future. And if brands want to be authentic to their customers and they say that they're human brands, I mean, you're ignoring 15 to 20% of humans and their needs and wants. I think that's a, a perfect note to end on. Uh, Christina, so Perry, Crumb, Christina, thank you so much for coming in and chatting to us about um, solving accessibility problems with the help of AI. Lots of um, great tidbits of information there, lots of nice practical examples, and of course, uh, some tools outlined as well. So thank you so much for coming and joining us on the show. You've been listening to The Experience Makers, a Wonderman Thompson technology podcast. You can follow us at One Thompson Tech on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram, or visit us at wondermanthompson.com. Make sure you tune in to next month's episode of The Experience Makers, where we'll continue the experience conversation, helping businesses thrive in today's experience economy.